Everything you do is simply delicate. Everything you do is quite angelicate. Why can't I be you? The Cure. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Hello, hello, hello. I am Kintad Svensgaard, and please say hello to AJ Mass. I knew that was coming somehow, <laughs> some way. Bravo, sir. Bravo. This, folks, in case you didn't know, was a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look each week at an episode of the show. I have never seen the show before. AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode plenty of times. Uh, That is our conceit, as it were. And uh, AJ, this week, We are going to be taking a look at Season 3, Episode 7 of Criminal Minds, entitled Identity. This episode was directed by Gwyneth Horder-Payton and written by our old pal, Owen Lee. Owen Lee. Only Only you can write this episode. (laughs) Ah, yes. It's, It's a fine example of... Uh, an episode that does a lot in a little bit of time. <laughs> we'll see how successfully by the time we get to the end of it. Yes, I will also just mention this episode originally aired on November 7th, 2007. And why don't I just get it started? Let's yes. get it started in here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So this week we open in a in on a car that is speeding along a, a rural looking highway, and we are told that it is uh, Great Falls, Montana. The driver of the car, who uh, is probably instantly recognizable to folks that watch a lot of TV, I recognized him. It's uh, Michael Kudlitz. Kudlitz. Michael Not sure Kudlitz, how to pronounce yeah. it. Sure. How to pronounce? But anyway. Mr. Cudlitz has a a big old scar under his left eye, and uh, he's speeding by a cop and says, damn, as he's definitely caught the attention and notice of the police. All of a sudden, their siren goes on, and we hear the cops' radios. Yes, they've found their missing vehicle, and uh, another cop car pulls up and joins the chase. So the the stolen car is not a particularly speedy car. (laughs) (laughs) No, he tries tries to get it to... To push past that 90 MPH and cannot do it. (laughs) He cannot do so. So he curses at the car and then he finally pulls over. And at this point, another cop car has joined the first two. And the cops get on the loudspeaker. Get out of the car. Get out. Put your hands where I can see them. You know, typical loudspeaker cop type stuff. And uh, eventually one cop starts to walk towards the car Meanwhile, we can see Michael Cudlitz's uh, hand, and he has a gun there ready to go. But rather than go with his gun, AJ, he also has what looks to be 
a hand grenade. And it is a hand grenade. <laughs> it is. Well, additionally, while he's doing all this, he's also eating sunflower seeds. Yes. <laughs> the calm that this, you know, it's like, because oh. sunflower seeds, it's not a food that you can just eat. You have to work at it to get to mm-hmm. that tiny little seed. So this is a cool customer. And he wouldn't be the type to uh, buy them pre-shelled. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not, that's how I like to get my sunflower seeds because I'm a little bit lazy. So anyway, yes, the uh, there's a cop approaching the car, but Mr. Cutlets has pulled out the pin on this grenade and he's just waiting for the cop. Like he's, he's got the timing down. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's waiting for the cop to get closer he puts his hand out the out the window, only as no, he's, he's closing the in the on the car. Only is the writer of the episode. Oh, gosh, <laughs> yes, I forgot. Sorry. Uh, yes. So by the time the cop gets there, he starts to realize that this guy is playing with the pen on the grenade, and Cudlitz gives a little smile, even, and and the cop is yelling "grenade," and then. Michael Cudlitz and his stolen car explode in a big explosion. And I was like, oh, wow, they got him for that little tiny, tiny part. But yes, that was my first thought. I was like, no, he can't have died that fast. But the other cop is down. He's injured in the explosion. And as his partners are calling for aid, uh, we're going to cut over to the BAU office. Uh, you know, unexpected uh, end to the opening scene. Like you said, when you recognize the person, you're like, Oh, they can't possibly. Oh, oh, I guess they can possibly. (laughs) Kaboom. Because, spoiler alert, he dead. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He quite dead. So then we cut to the BAU office, and Reed is boring Morgan and Prentice with some overly scientific explanation of how many gigajoules of energy that the Death Star would need to blow up an Earth-sized planet. And uh, Morgan spots a painter coming out of Rossi's uh, new office and he decides to head that way, and he brushes Reed off, saying, "When Reed asks him where he's going, saying, "I'm going to go get the last five minutes of my life back." Prentice decides to join him, and uh, they go into Rossi's office, and Reed joins them as well. And they start looking over the office, and they actually start profiling <laughs> Rossi based on what they see. Prentice is pointing out the color of the walls, the the taupe. It's, it's a negative color. It's linked to loneliness and a desire to escape from the rest of the world. And uh, Morgan just thought that the wall would be covered with plaques and commendations. And Prentice says, well, maybe he doesn't want to be reminded of his past victories. This represents a new chapter for him. <laughs> and Reed is like, um, yo, guys, what about our moratorium on intra-team profiling? <laughs> and Morgan is like, Team, I don't think he knows the meaning of the word. And he fair. says this. Uh, uh, Very fair. <laughs> yes. However, as he's saying this, he's searching through, you know, a box of his private belongings. <laughs> so Also, touche. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Morgan does find a piece of artwork that appears to be like an original piece of religious art. And this excites Reed enough to get into the profiling himself, even though he was just warning them about it. Uh, And he says, oh, he likes the classics. Catholic, Italian-American, strict upbringing, probably believes in redemption. And at this moment, Rossi walks in saying, oh, I do. And basically, he has busted them all. He confirms that he's Catholic and Italian-American. 
He didn't have such a strict upbringing. The artwork is an original piece from the 15th century that cost him more than his first house. And he lets Prentice know that the taupe color is just the base color. The painters are coming in later to finish. (laughs) So he's basically heard all of their stuff. And so he says, uh, now if you guys are finished, you know, JJ and Hotch are waiting for us in the conference room. And then he looks at Morgan and says, isn't that how a team is supposed to work? Everybody shuffles out looking rightly embarrassed. And, and, and good on Rossi for playing with them as if he's going to be part of the team. Like He could have just said, what the hell are you doing in my office? Get out. Right. He played. He played. That was fun. He played. Exactly. That, that was a fun game. Although I, I did kind of wonder the logistics of how he heard everything because Reed was kind of standing on the outside of the office for a minute while they were starting the speech talking and it just... I, I guess he was on the side somewhere. I, I don't know how he heard everything. I, I mean, it, the, the, there's a lot of that in this script. I'm with you. We'll, we'll let it go for the sense of fun. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I would like to say the, the, the transition here is we're going to transition into the meeting room where JJ is delivering a little explanation of what we're about to see in this episode. There's a sign right in front of Morgan which I froze in red because they keep cutting back to Morgan and I kept seeing if I could read the sign and after about three attempts, I was able to read the sign. And this sign just made me laugh out loud for stupidity. Uh-oh. It's like a chalkboard, a whiteboard with marker on it. It says, <laughs> mandatory. All BAU members must sign up for mini profiling seminar. And then in parentheses, it's better to volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the hell does that mean? If it's mandatory. <laughs> I, I don't even know, but that is funny. <laughs> I, I like to check out the message, the, the, you know, the bulletin boards and everything. Like the sentences yeah. tend to have a lot of fun in these shows, and sometimes you can catch goofs and gags, but that one just made me laugh. What, <laughs> what does that mean? But we pre- It's mandatory, but we prefer you volunteer. <laughs> and if you don't volunteer, y'all better be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, anyway, JJ is going over the case. Great Falls, Montana. Over the past 14 months, three women have been reported missing. All young Caucasian brunette and police assume that they're dead after extensive searches. They haven't found anybody. But they know since all the victims looked like the same, that this guy has a particular type. And now they have another victim because this morning Angela Miller was kidnapped from a grocery store parking lot as her husband and son were inside And she explains how 40 minutes later, the cops found the car, but the suspect blew himself up with the grenade and injured a cop. They did search the wreckage, but Angela didn't appear to be in the wreckage at all. So they're going to assume that she's still alive somewhere because he only had her for 40 minutes before they found her. And also the other three victims were never found. So this is going to be considered a rescue mission at this point. And, We cut to a quick shot of Angela Miller. Looks like she's tied up and gagged beneath a floor or a box or something that has some air holes in it. And she's trying to scream and she's pounding on the the floor or the ceiling, whatever it is above her, the top of the box. Nice Uh, proof of life for us watching at home. Yes. And then we go to credits. Criminal Minds. We next see our BAU jet, and for the first time, Dave Rossi gives us the opening quote. 
An earthly kingdom cannot exist without inequality of persons. Some must be free, some serfs, some rulers, some subjects. Martin Luther. I was like, hmm, okay. That's a meaty That's, quote. <laughs> yeah. What's up with that, Mr. Rossi? So uh, on the jet, Prentice makes a crack at Reed that she would have gotten him a coloring book, but he's actually doing what's called a Jeopardy surface, which is basically a, a topographical map where he's trying to narrow down where the unsub could live, where he might be keeping Angela Miller. So he's got different shades and coloring around the map to help him with this process. I, I like the fact that they gave it a name. Uh, I mean, I, is this the first time we've seen him do do uh, geographical profile? I don't I, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I think no. he's, he's done it before. No, he's done it before. But, but I don't think Prentice was there. I think this was the yeah. last time I saw him do it. This was, but still, you would think she would know. Yeah, I, but, you know. <laughs> all right, fine. You know, it's we're always trying to bring in new viewers, and and what what the hell is he doing? So she, you know, she didn't have to dog him so so fiercely. <laughs> yeah, but you know, anytime they can infantilize Reed, <laughs> <laughs> they're going to do it. Absolutely, they're take a shot at it. They do point out that the unsub had a gun and he still went with the grenade, which Rossi says, well, that's because he wanted to take out as many cops with him as possible because he wants to be remembered. And they deduce uh, because of where he's located, probably that he's he's probably militia, which does have a high presence in the area. And guess what? They happen to really, really hate the government. They also assume he probably has some military experience, so they're going to have Garcia check the dental records that they're going to, uh, that they've gotten to her against the military. They also just divvy up the assignments, and Hotch tells everyone to tread carefully because they're going to be being watched. And he then looks concerned. Yeah, I did like the the staging of this scene because the whole team is like in one little corner, and Rossi's off by himself to the side again. But he immediately doesn't write in his notebook. He actually shares his opinions, and they, they actually have a conversation. So Frosty is learning. He's learning how to play with others. Very nice scene. <laughs> Getting the lay of the land. So we cut now to the crime scene at the grocery store where our local sheriff is there. And uh, our local sheriff, by the way, Jim Beaver. I believe is his name. Oh, I and, never, I never even noticed his name. He was just sheriff to me. Yeah. Well, the actor's name. Oh, see, yeah, I is I Jim didn't, Beaver. Didn't look him up. Didn't who, recognize him, so I didn't look him up. <laughs> I recognize from Deadwood, and I, I think that we've seen several people from the Deadwood cast. Okay. I just thought it was interesting but because we're, we. We're not going to put that into a trivia question for you, or a a, a prediction for you, because we've already got another one running. <laughs> I'm okay. not going to count every show, because trust me, there are a lot of pipeline shows here. <laughs> you want to keep running tab with the wire? You're gonna at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, he's the sheriff, and uh, he lets him know that unfortunately, the, that our injured police officer from the first scene has died. So that's too bad for him. <laughs> he's pissed about it too. He's just, I mean, yeah, he's he angry. Is. He is not. But you, you, he is not. You think happy. he'd be angry at the BAU, although they did invite him in, which they were all surprised about. Really, Montana? Really? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's it's like ah, God damn it! At least he's dead. <laughs> yeah. So he lets them know that uh, 
Angela Miller's son and husband had gone into the restroom, and when they came out, she was gone with the car. They figured that the unsub got into the car with his gun and, and told her to drive. And since she knew that her son would be coming out any minute rather than put him in any danger, she complied. All the other cars in the lot are accounted for. So this unsub was probably a local who walked there because where would his car have been? And then the sheriff says that, uh, well, at least the folks can rest easy because they know he's dead. And then he says, except, of course, for Angela Miller's family. And at that point, we do see the husband and young son getting out of a police car. So we see that they're there. We then cut over to the police station where JJ is having a hard time getting anyone in the militia groups to talk to her. (laughs) And both Rossi and Reed let her know that perhaps she shouldn't mention she is FBI when she's calling them. And uh, Garcia calls in at that moment. To let them know that they've identified the grenade guy. He is one Francis Goring, 42 years old. And she's sending over his last known address. And also he has a wife who was uh, separated from him, from him. And she lives a few hours away. So Rossi says they're going to have the uh, state police bring in the wife. And meanwhile, Reed and him will go make friends with his neighbors. Yes. Well, this is where, again... Since, you know, Garcia likes to clickety-clack and pull up all these little documents and everything on her computer, I froze the screen and read the discharge document of one, Francis Goring, which clearly stated that he was dishonorably discharged on January 23rd, 1979, after six years of service, which would have made him 14 at the time of the incident, and he had enlisted at the age of eight. Oops. <laughs> Uh, Try harder. <laughs> they did not account for people watching this and freezing. No, look, the marriage certificate was very well filled out and had an appropriate date <laughs> in the right decade. I was like, seriously? 79, I just popped up 79. But he was 42. This doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then... Uh, we cut back to the uh, grocery store where the sheriff and Hotch and Prentice are talking to Angela Miller's husband. He's asking about the other missing women. And he thinks, you know, with the FBI there, that this guy must be a serial killer. And Hotch says they're there to help find his wife. And uh, unless they have any evidence to the contrary, they, they believe she's still alive. They need him to go over all the details of when he last saw her. Because someone else may have been watching her at that moment, too, and maybe he can help them get some kind of a clue. We then cut over to Rossi and Reed arriving at a, a militia compound, and Reed goes up to the door, uh, which is like a house office slash type of thing. And yeah, it's, like a motel, uh, like the Bates Motel, kind of like just the little entry yeah. room. And it's marked uh, manager's office and has several hand-painted signs <laughs> Around it, like saying things like no tras- no trespassing, no solicitors, and keep Montana armed. F off. <laughs> yeah, basically. basically yeah. So Reed knocks on the door and the guy answers it. And at first, all he can see is Reed. And he seems quite incredulous that Reed is an FBI officer. Says he looks like a pipe cleaner with eyes. <laughs> and uh, basically that, you know, lets him know. It'd be pretty easy to take him out. Looks like it'd be pretty easy to take out. And that's when Rossi 
steps from us from you know into view he, who was standing there the whole time he likes lurking off to the side and eavesdropping clearly yeah and uh he helps to convince this guy pretty quickly that uh he, he wants to show him francis gehring's gehring's place this is about finding a woman from his community you know you need to help, basically. And finally, the manager agrees to show him Francis's place and points out to Reed by that the uh, way he's wearing his gun, he's just begging for someone to take it off him. And I was kind of proud for a moment that Reed just sort of acknowledged it, but he didn't move it. <laughs> like, he didn't <laughs> yeah. do anything to, like, he was still just going to be Reed. I just thought that was a nice little Yes, <laughs> even though they just spent another scene infantilizing him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the writers, man. <laughs> Good point. Reed and Rossi do search Goring's place. It doesn't seem like he sleeps there. He probably just uses it as a mailing address. And uh, there's some books and things like that. And speaking of books, Reed uh, mentions to Rossi that he's read all of Rossi's books, to which Rossi just says, that's nice. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> And Reed continues, but it did strike him as odd how he just sort of glances over Ruby Ridge. Clearly, Reed wants more details on that incident, but Rossi is not forthcoming. No, he not only is he not forthcoming, he he does visibly like react like he's been hit in the face with a punch, like <laughs> Ruby Ridge. So you know there's a yeah. story there to be told, but he ain't going to be telling it. Right. Meanwhile, he's found a picture of... Uh, Goring with uh, his wife and says, well, this must have been his old life. We need to find out where his new life is. And then he asks Reed how his map is coming along. And Reed has it narrowed down to a 30-mile radius, which, if this guy was walking to this crime scene, doesn't really seem to help at the moment. <laughs> and yeah. Reed is like, well, I'm still refining it. And Rossi's like, oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> great. And then he's looking through the area where he's looking in this box. He finds a bunch of videotapes, like from a camera, the little tiny miniature tapes that used to be in old movie cameras. Camera, you might want to say. Yes. Uh, so he shows them to read and says, "Home movies." Yes, and it's it's all the t- all the all of the uh, video cassette canisters uh, have the words kingdom plan part one kingdom plan part two kingdom plan part three. Oh, i guess we're gonna have to watch the whole series aren't we Ugh. <laughs> binge watching of a different sort mm-hmm. so we do cut to the team looking at his movies in the police station and goring actually gives the same martin luther quote that we opened the show with and, and then he starts uh, pontificating some more and Prentice is concerned that they have 11 more of these tapes to go through. <laughs> yes. This TED Talk could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Reed says, look, it's his manifesto. And on the tape, we hear uh, Goring saying, first, I will build a compound, a kingdom. Second, I will arm, protect, and fortify my kingdom. Third, I will keep women as serfs to serve my every need. This is my right. As a man with free will in America, I will make my kingdom a reality. And I just thought it would have been funny if they like put in one of the last tapes and the guy's like, and 437th. <laughs> I will never collect, you know, cans on Sunday. Anyway, 
Beans shall be served before the hot dogs. <laughs> Never concurrently. So they know that this guy is a sweetheart. Is, ta- <laughs> <laughs> is talking about keeping women to serve him. Uh, it's possible maybe these women are still alive. And at that moment, JJ uh, comes in to let them know that Goring's wife has arrived. So we cut to them talking to her, and she is very reticent to speak with them. And in fact, is like, uh, you know what? I'm going to bounce. But Prentice stops her and lays down all the victim's photos and points out that they all look like her. And she says, you know, Francis has a pattern, a type. When did you last see your husband? She says, well... I haven't seen him since we kicked him out. And they're like, we kicked him out? Apparently, they lived with militia at that place, too. And none of these groups, by the way, they're just all militia. They're never, like, named, like, separate names. You know, I think that's probably a good idea because no matter what fake name they picked would probably actually exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. But uh, so, anyway, this woman was getting abused, Mrs. Goring, and the militia realized he was abusing her, and they threw him out. A score one for the militia. I mean, how bad of a person yeah. do you have to be for the militia to go, nah, dude? <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> you, you too crazy for us. <laughs> Hotch does let her know that Francis killed himself after being caught in Angela Miller's car. And then Rossi comes over, and he's like, he's sadistic. He did terrible things to you. And he did all these same terrible things to these other women, except for they didn't have a militia to save them. (laughs) They get her to admit that Francis made her give him her parents' land when they passed. And she points out the land on Reed's map. And it's right at the edge of one of his color gradations. Reed's map is good. Reed was going (laughs) off with a spirograph on this thing. That thing was way circular and colorful and everything. It just... Thank goodness we, we we learned that Reed was good at his job, right? <laughs> yes. Finally. I, Hello. It, it would have been hysterical if she pointed all the way on the other side of the map. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so then we cut to the team and the police arriving at this new location. And I have a question for you. Who are they looking for, Kintad? <laughs> Who are they looking for? I don't know. Maybe Angela. 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 <laughs> Yes, there are a lot of screams as they are looking for Angela. Unfortunately, and pretty quickly, Morgan finds Angela, or shall I say, he finds her body because she has been shot and she is laying in a freshly dug open grave in the garden. And uh, they determine that her body is still warm. She must have just been shot recently. And if that's the case... That means that Goring had a partner because we already know he is very much dead. He's very much dead, yeah. Since his remains have already been identified and <laughs> shipped off to Garcia, yeah. Uh, I, this is, this is the, one of the first times in the series that I buy the timing of them uh, arriving and Morgan finding the body because we know we saw them drive up. Usually it's like the cops have been looking for hours and all of a sudden BAU comes waltzing in. Hey, hey, over here. Look over here. It's like. Really? No, this they they just showed up and she's in plain view. So of course someone would have stumbled across her in thirty seconds. So it, this right. time it makes sense. But I'm watching you, criminal minds. <laughs> 
So just after they've said he has a partner, we did cut to a scene, by the way, of a nervous looking young guy, frantic, washing his face. And then he's looking around his room and he's got a picture of Frank and he he holds it up and he starts staring at it before we cut to a break. He's got two pictures of Frank. There's a picture of Frank inside a picture of Frank. Yes. One is just like the nice front shot, and the other is like an action shot of Frank standing in some area. Uh, We come back, and we are at Goring's place, and it turns out that Angela has been dead for no more than half an hour, so their unsub couldn't have gotten too far. They're going to set up roadblocks, and they do figure that someone has to know who Goring's partner is, and they decide that maybe they should try uh, talking to the militia, seeing if they can help. The sheriff lets them know that the militia leader is known as one Harris Townsend, and he owns a bar called The Horse Post. So Rossi, at this moment, decides to send Morgan. And Morgan is like, what? For obvious reasons, maybe he looks a little bit surprised that he's the one being picked. And he's like, dude, there's five other people here. You could have picked any anybody. <laughs> um, and Hutch just tells uh, JJ to go with Morgan. This is actually, actually, what's even better is like, Morgan's like, what, me? And even the sheriff's like, him? What, yes. you crazy? <laughs> you do know what color he is, right? <laughs> and, um, and Rossi explains that they know that the FBI are there, but your face is the last face they'll expect. I'm still not really satisfied with that explanation. Yeah. <laughs> Like I don't really, I really don't get it either. It's like what, what, what? <laughs> and then, and then, no, and then, it's, and then it's like, don't worry, Morgan, we'll send you in with the blonde girl for backup. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> but Morgan is game. He's like, all right, let's go, JJ. All righty. And uh, meanwhile, they can't search the house yet, Goring's house yet, because they're still checking it for bombs and booby traps and all of that type of stuff. But meanwhile, they can search the outer area and Reed and Rossi go into a shed. And there they find a a gun cabinet that has been recently emptied out uh, and a little bit of ammo. It's clear that their guy that they're looking for has an assault rifle. And they also find fresh tire tracks from a small pickup truck. So... This guy is probably in a pickup truck. That's the description that they have to go on for now. At least Hotch is like, I know this won't do you much good. But at least right. say we're looking for a white male in a pickup truck. <laughs> right. And uh, in the meantime, Princess has found a spot where they're in the garden where there's three different <laughs> uh, sections of roses at different lengths, different heights. There's carrion beetles in the dirt there. So they're probably looking at grave areas. I'm, I'm actually, I'm perfectly fine with this. I'm perfectly. It makes sense that you know you're gonna bury the victims. You cover up the spot with with flowers to make it not obvious that you've just dug these holes in the, in the earth. My problem is, is that there is no landscaping in this entire place, and you could have seen this from the car. <laughs> you know, you pull up, you go, huh? Look at those three rose bushes over there. Go check that out. It's not something you're going to discover a half hour later. Guys, come here. 
Notice yeah. how these, yeah, it's the only landscaping there. We noticed. That was a bit strange. A bit, a bit, uh, yeah. So we're not ready to discuss that yet. We have to wait two scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you look at the script? So JJ and Morgan arrive at the militia bar and they uh, flash their badges and ask for Harris Townsend. I, there's, it's a cute, it's a cute little thing. It's, it's sound editing here, but when they're outside, you hear the country music blaring. You know, like "Oh, tell my heart." I don't know what song was playing, but like and they walk in the doors and it's. It's all but the record scratch. You no longer hear any music. I think it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Turns out somebody is telling them to put their badges away. They know who they are. And it turns out that that guy that's telling them that is Harris Townsend. He does tell one of his pals to be a gentleman and pull up a chair for the little lady. Uh, JJ says she's prefer to stand. And he says he would prefer if they would both leave his bar. But at least he's got manners. <laughs> Then he makes some comments about Morgan's European Glock 17 and his all-American Smith & Wesson, and he wonders uh, which one is more dependable. And uh, <laughs> he's just endearing himself. Uh, he then goes on about how could people like Morgan trust them, and he's talking about the federal government and how has the government ever helped his people, slavery, ghettos, poverty, the CIA got you all hooked on heroin in the 60s and crack in the 80s. I hate the government, but you, you should despise them. <laughs> oh, nothing like racial discussion filtered through white supremacy. <laughs> yes. And then he says, they don't even care about you right now. There's five other members of your team. Why the hell did they send you in here? Which I thought was kind of neat. Because he's also saying, oh, yeah, I know who you are. I know that there's five members of your team. You know, I, yeah, know, it's one of I those know what's going on. Subtle threats. Like, it's not it's mm-hmm. not it's not creepy. It's not ominous until you think about it for a second and go, oh, actually, that is very creepy and very ominous. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Morgan just says, look, Francis Goring and a partner abducted and killed four innocent women, the last of which we just found dead in a bed of roses. She was shot in the back twice. Nobody sent him anywhere. He came here to do right by her. Goring's partner is out there, and we understand if your boy, you boys are too afraid to tell us about him. But just say so. Don't go hiding behind your little vague little gun threats and your tired conspiracy theories. I'm like, go ahead, Morgan. And uh, finally, Townsend gives in. He gives him a brief description as he only saw the partner through the scope of his rifle while he was out hunting one time. Okay. And he says he's a small guy, about 5'8", followed Goring around like his little private pack mule. Uh, He had his hat on and his head down, and that's all that this guy knows. And so Morgan says, all right, and he leaves a card for on the table and says, in case anyone remembers anything else, and as they leave, he's like, take care, boys. And I, I wanted Morgan to say, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Reggie Hammond. Because that <laughs> reminded me of that scene for some reason. Well, he wasn't nearly as lippy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, did, I did like the subtle thing. It was like when Morgan is pulling out his wallet to remove the business card, he is very deliberate. Like, I am pulling out my wallet. Yes. I am. Let's look at my hand. Look at my hand. I am pulling <laughs> out a business card. Do not shoot. The black man. <laughs> yeah. But that that was, uh, thankfully, could have gone much more south than it did. <laughs> uh, yes. I still question Rossi's plan there. But, but they weren't <laughs> expecting you. 
the yeah. last face they were expecting to see. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, well, they're going to so, be the last face I see. <laughs> so anyway, we cut. Hey, we cut we, back. We, we got three lions over there. Hey, Reed, you smell like meat. Why don't you go yeah. over there? Why can't we spend, send Vegetable Joe? No, no, no. We're sending you. The last person they're expecting. <laughs> so then we uh, cut back to Goring's house, which has now been checked for explosives and should be safe enough for them to search. And, and again, that makes sense. That that made mm-hmm. sense. Good writing there. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there. So they do search the house and they find some movies like his uh, other tapes. Um, and these ones have the names on them of the recent victims, but all the tapes have been unspooled. And so they have a deputy grab those to get those off to sent off to Garcia so she can work her magic unspooling. I mean, respooling powers. And and, and (laughs) here's where, here's, here's, here's where the writing doesn't work because I mean, how long is it going to take them? She needs the physical tapes to to, to do this. That's going to take some time from Montana you know, the, even the BAU jet isn't going to get it there in enough time for them to really help this case. Yep. Agreed. Ish. But that's what they're going to do. <laughs> so, of course, uh, of course. Of course. It's a physical object is all I'm saying. You could send the results of the DNA testing. <laughs> that's a file. I get it. Yeah. Oh, well. Prentice and Reed, meanwhile, they find a posted set of rules on the wall. This show loves posting rules on the wall. (laughs) Yes. Number one, all actions must serve to please the master. Number two, insubordination will result in punishment. And so they say it's uh, his new manifesto. And Reed points out that the word master is singular and capitalized, emphasizing that there's only one dominant partner. So the other partner was also more like a servant or a serf. Yeah, they figure he watches the house. Minds the lawn, helps him abduct the women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Up until that last <laughs> things part, like that. Yeah, up until the last part, it was Alfred from Batman. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Prentice says, "Well, if the partner is this guy's serf, what are the female slaves for?" And Rossi comes out of a room and says he can answer that. And we cut into the room, and there is torture paraphernalia everywhere. There's a chair with the the bars and straps all on it, and uh, a painful-looking device that Prentice starts. Uh, it, it she starts uh, extending the little claws on it, and she's like, "What is this even for?" And and Reed identifies it as the pair of anguish. <laughs> okay, I, I I will say I bit. I looked it up. <laughs> I looked up okay. pair of anguish. Uh, there is no such thing as the pair of anguish. It is a fictional torture device that was uh, put in this ancient book of literature uh, that they have never and ever, ever been actually able to find a real existing pair of anguish. Uh, it's only in TV shows where they throw this cockamamie thing on there because it was described once in a book. But the fact that Reed still knows what it is is kind of amusing. <laughs> Even though he doesn't explain, <laughs> ah, the pair of anguish, which is really doesn't do anything. <laughs> uh, I could see how it could keep a pair 
<laughs> in, in anguish, well, but <laughs> I, you know, in the original, I mean, it also they went into the description of what you're supposed to use it for, and let's just say, okay, we don't need to go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it doesn't actually uh, exist. Okay, except now it does exist <laughs> because yeah. they made one. Uh, well, Goring made one, uh, yes. and I can buy that because they lifted up his bed and said there was a lot of self-made torture tools under there. But but here's my it's here's my question for you. Okay, yeah. this is how the scene goes. Oh, look at this. What is it? Oh, ah, the pair of anguish. Hey guys, I've got something here. Lift. Here's all the stuff. <laughs> how about lift? Oh, I've got something here. Or hmm, I wonder if there's anything under here. It looks like it moves. Lift? No, he knew he had something under there even though he hadn't looked under there yet. I hate when they do that. <laughs> yep. Guys, yeah. I got something here. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> Shit. Hmm, look at me. So meanwhile, we do cut back to the garden where the bodies and the remains are being dug up. And meanwhile, Rossi is saying they must have kept these women in that box for months. And that judging by these tools, there's going to be considerable mutila- mutilation. And we need to do what we can to help their families get a proper burial. We next get a profiling scene, a profile of the partner. They're saying that he's in his early to mid-20s. He's 5'8", with a slight built, and he's unlikely to surrender if he's cornered. He's obsessed with cleanliness and order, and they found hair samples which indicate that he has medium-short length uh, hair that is blonde they say he is the submissive partner, but he just lost Gehring, so right now he's in crisis. And meanwhile, while they're saying all this about him, we are actually seeing the unsub who is staring at his one of his pictures of Frank, and uh, then he's coloring his hair and combing his hair back so that he looks more like Frank. And then most disturbingly... He looks at the photo and, and looks at the scar under his left eye and decides that he's going to match the scar. And he breaks a bottle and uses the jagged edge of the bottle to cut himself under the eye. You just use a knife or something, dude. Like, I don't understand why he felt the need to he's do that. He's not well. But, Didn't you yes. see how they slow mode him earlier in the episode? <laughs> he's not well. He is definitely not. So then we had gotten to a break and we come back and we're treated to one of Goring's videos and he has just done something horrible to a victim and he's talking directly to the camera and he's saying, one more thing, never let the bastards take you alive and never be forgotten. And then we hear Garcia, who is clearly turned off and disgusted by her her latest task, which was to assemble those videos and check them. And she says, that's it. That's every horrific frame. She scanned every frame, but she never saw the partner. He was always the cameraman. So uh, she ha- hasn't seen him. And she's, she, she's not good. She, Garcia's yeah. just like, peace out. I'm going to go wash my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still don't know how they got this to her, that she had enough time to fix all this video and get it back to them. And it'd still be the same day, but okay, sure. I see yeah. you, criminal minds. This doesn't work. It's magic, AJ. It it's also magic. really isn't all that necessary. Even more important. Uh, so 
Reed and Princess start watching another tape and notice that the way that the cameraman is framing Goring, and, and they notice that they're never he's never paying the camera's never paying attention to the victim. It just seems to be interested in Goring, not the torture, not, not that at all. And the camera's got lingering shots on his biceps, and it's almost like he's caressing Goring's body. And the sheriff is like, well, what are you saying? And Prentice says, well, isn't it obvious he was in love with Goring? He didn't rip those tapes up to destroy evidence. He was just in a jealous rage, basically. They watch more of the tape, and they see Goring is teaching our, our unsub how to tie the perfect knot so that his victims can't go anywhere. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Basically, he's teaching him to be the perfect serf, they say. And they say, well, hmm, part of that servitude would be cleaning his house, helping abduct the girls. I feel like we already had this conversation. We, we, but, it's oh. actually the third time we've had this conversation, but it's okay. Yeah. We, we, we have to fill a little bit. <laughs> yes. Helping to abduct the girls. He must have also got supplies, planted the roses. And they go, oh, wait, roses. He had to probably had to buy the roses and lots of them. And so Prentice says, let's go check the nurseries. <laughs> to the nursery, go! <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, least criminal mindsy lines. <laughs> <laughs> to yes. the nursery! Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let's just continue our fun by having our montage of nope. And it's a very quick, quick one. A uh, uh, quick little montage. <laughs> but who finally finds the right uh, nursery? Of course, it's our girl, JJ. JJ. She, she's, found, she's found the guy, and the guy knows exactly who she's describing. <laughs> but it turns out it's not a customer, AJ. No? It's, it's an employee at the nursery. I mean, this is where the show just annoys me a lot. <laughs> it's just that they make such huge leaps, and yet they're st- they can't even give them that. <laughs> they got to still be wrong. It, it, they get so lucky sometimes. And uh, it turns out that our, our nursery worker's name is Henry Frost. So we now cut to Henry Frost's trailer and they're outside. Reed, we see, is finding some pictures in a in a barbecue, but all the faces uh, on one person in the pictures have been burnt out. Uh, he goes into the trailer where Hotch is and Hotch says... Uh, this guy has destroyed everything he owns. And Reed says, well, he has no identity. Bing, bing, bing. Whoop, 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 whoop. And uh, he explains that he's found the pictures with the faces burned off. And Hutch says, well, why? And Reed says a submissive depends on the dominant partner, not only for instruction, but for purpose and meaning. And Hutch says, so he's starting over. He's wiping the slate clean. And Prentice says, yeah, but as what? We then cut to a gas station parking lot where our unsub gets out of his pickup truck, Ford Ranger, by the way, and walks over to offer a pretty young brunette lady some help with her bag. But he's creepy. So she's like, no, thanks. I got it. I appreciate it. And she kind of she does like look to make sure he sort of walks back toward his truck. And he does. And then she goes back around to the back of her car to put in her groceries. Uh, But all of a sudden, our unsub is there, Mr. Frost, with his gun. 
pointed at her and he forces her into the trunk yeah and starts to dr- and starts to drive off this, but, this, but before but i just want to say yeah this woman it's almost like you know you think someone's following you home you get inside you lock the door and then unlock the door <laughs> and open it back up it's like she's she's yeah. on high alert and then it's like takes two steps like uh, i guess i was foolish like yeah i don't want to blame the victim but can we can we you know, just have him have him like bum rush her or something. If, if, you know, don't make the victim yeah, look stupid. I agree. Before he can drive off, I did want to mention that there's a lady from the. It's like a little store, little mini mart uh, at the gas station, and she is run out, and she's got a big old shotgun, and she's like, "Stop, stop!" And she even aims the gun, but she uh, doesn't pull the trigger, and our unsub drives off with the woman screaming from the trunk. We cut to a little bit later, and the team is there, and the gas station lady is saying, well, she could have taken the shot, but she was afraid of hitting the woman. So it was nice to get the explanation yeah, pretty quickly exactly. of why because she did Because otherwise, it just looks like she's like, stop or I'll shoot. Stop. Why won't the car stop? I'm saying stop or I'll shoot. Just shoot. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so- I honestly, I don't believe her. <laughs> I don't believe that she could have gotten him. He was already too far away, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. I don't think she saw the woman. So I, I, I get that she was concerned, but like, it's not like she saw her and didn't want to shoot her. She's in the trunk. And I guess maybe she thought her shot was so bad she would hit the trunk. Then you shouldn't have shot in the first place because you weren't going to hit it. Right. But what she does have is a description of the unsub. She said he had a big ass bandage on the left side of his face. And I was so happy to hear someone say big ass on, <laughs> on the show. Well, she is from Montana. They know big. <laughs> and uh, this guy bought a beer and pumpkin seeds and then went, went and sat in his truck and, and sat there. See, okay, so I stand corrected. And, they weren't sunflower seeds in the first scene. They were pumpkin seeds. My bad. Mm-hmm. But they were seeds. Mm-hmm. And Rossi comes up talking to Hotch and he says, well, that was their MO. Frost drove Goring around. And Goring would pick a victim and then abduct her on foot, and then they would drive off in separate vehicles. And uh, Hotch says, well, this this time, though, Frost had to play both parts, and he got slap, sloppy. He left a witness. He left his car. He got stupid is what he did. Yeah. <laughs> if he took a half a second to go, well, it's like, so what happens now? It's, it's like that Matthew Py- Matthew Python scene with the, with the uh, Trojan horse. Where, where they build a rabbit and it's a Trojan rabbit and they, they wheel it up and they, they, they go back and wait and they go, well, what happens next? Well, now we get out of the car. We get out of the, we get out of the rabbit. We get out of the rabbit. No! <laughs> so what happens yeah. next? Well, now I drive the car away. Oh, wait. Shit! <laughs> yeah, our boy Frost is, is, is lost. <laughs> so JJ shows uh, a picture of Frost to the gas station lady to confirm that's who she saw. And actually she says, no, that's not him. And she goes to show them the security video and points him out. And they realize now that he has made himself up to look like Francis. I, I, yeah, I will say this is another reason I didn't like this lady. Cause this, you know, what do he look like? Well, he had this big, I'll show you the tape is what she should have just said. <laughs> I got him on tape. She waited a full five minutes of explanation and wait, no, I don't recognize him in that picture. Oh, but I could show you the tape. Yes. I could have shot him. Could have. Could have shot you the tape. I could have been a model. I don't have to be working for you now. 
Yeah, let's profile her. <laughs> Gas station lady. Uh, meanwhile, Rossi and Hotch are standing outside in the parking lot, and they're going to role play through the relationship of uh, Frost and, and Goring. And Rossi is playing the part of Frost, and Hotch will be the playing the part of Goring. And they say everything is going good, but one day Goring pulls the pin on a grenade and dies. And Rossi says... And when I lose you, I begin to lose my identity because my sense of self was tied to you. And Hotch says, you're showing classic signs of depersonalization disorder <laughs> precipitated by the stressor of losing a loved one. Hotch not understanding role play. Hotch, that's you. You're playing you, Hotch. <laughs> and so Rossi says... Now all that's left is me, and Hot says, and you hate yourself because I brainwash you with all my rules. I told you over and over how weak you are and how you're nothing without me. And Rossi says, so I go back home and I annihilate everything I own and every reminder of who I am. I erase myself and become you. So that's when they figure out they need to stop thinking like Frost and start thinking like Goring because... Actually, he's still the one calling the shots. I mean, it's it's an okay scene. I mean, they could have just said, oh my gosh, he's made himself look like Francis, so let's just treat him like Francis. Like, what have, <laughs> we didn't need the scene, but but okay, I guess we need to do some profiling because we didn't have a, a full profiling scene earlier. <laughs> so, so we cut next to... Frost driving along, and we can hear the girl pounding from the trunk, calling for help. And then all of a sudden, we hear uh, Goring say, What kind of man follows another man around like a dog? And Frost looks into his rear view, and he sees Goring sitting in the back seat there. And uh, Goring is saying, If you act like a nobody, you'll be treated like a nobody. And Frost says, I'm not a nobody. I'm you. And Goring just gives him an approving smile, and then we cut to a break. Yeah, I mean, for uh, like you said, for a guy that died in the first scene, we are getting plenty of Michael Cudlin, so it's good. It's good. They did not waste yes. the guest starring appearance on one scene. He is all over this episode. Mm-hmm. So next we come back to see Frost. Uh, he's leading the woman. He's got a rope tied around her neck. It's a, it's like she's on a dog leash, basically. And they're in some mountainy looking area and he forces her onto the ground at the edge of a cliff. And then we cut back to the sheriff's office where Hotch is explaining how Frost is taking on, taken on Goring's persona and that if he's caught, he's not only willing to die, but he's going to take as many cops with him as possible. And he's got a hostage. So what they're going to need is the best sharpshooter that uh, the sheriff has got. And the sheriff is like, okay, but we don't even know where he's headed. Au contraire, Mr. Sheriff, the team knows exactly where he's headed. Because he's <laughs> <Reason> been coloring. <laughs> yes. On his tapes, Goring, ha- Goring has made mention of ideal land and higher ground. And that's going to be the kind of place where he would go. Someplace that's high ground. And it's easily defendable. And they show him the picture they got off of his refrigerator and ask the sheriff if he knows where that is. The sheriff says it's Black Eagle Peak. So now they have a spot. Uh, you know, and again, they have a picture. Do you know where this is? The picture was, was featured prominently. The other, the other stuff, ideal land, higher ground. 
I know exactly where he is. Sheriff, where in Montana can we find a mountain? <laughs> Lead with the picture. The picture. The picture. The picture. <laughs> like it's the only it's the only picture in his entire house he didn't destroy. Like do something like that. Like every every picture of the thing face rubbed out, but this yeah. picture was on his fridge featured prominently. That place must mean that you could work into a script and not have to come off sounding stupid. <laughs> we need to find a mountain in a state named after mountain. <laughs> so finally we cut back to Black Eagle Peak and that's where Frost has the girl and she's doing her best. She's read the handbook. She knows what you're supposed to try doing in these situations. She says her name is Becky and meanwhile Frost is yelling at her, "Shut up. She doesn't have a name. Not till he gives her one." And she's like, I teach school. I have a fiance. Oh, what happened to your face? It looks bad. What's your name? You know, she's trying everything she's do- she can. She's doing like, the right stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. When she asks his name, he does say, it's Francis Goring. And then we cut down to the bottom uh, area of the peak where the police have gathered. And the sheriff is telling them that they've already got got eyes on on uh, Frost, they know where he is. He's at a peak, a ridge, just around the just around the bend over the yonder. Basically, is what they say. And uh, they say, you know, they got to approach him really carefully. That he'll see them coming, and plus, he's got a police radio with him, so he can hear whatever they're talking about. They kind of worry that they won't be able to get close enough. So they get the sharpshooter, and Morgan is not too pleased. <laughs> to see that the sharpshooter that the sheriff has gotten is our old friend from the militia bar, Mr. Harris Townsend. The sheriff is like, you asked for the best. He is it. He's an ex-Special Forces sniper. I've deputized him, and uh, they have him go set up for the shot. So, AJ, the the next part of the show, the next part of the game being played is basically one of distraction because they need to try to get our sniper set up for a good shot. So Hotch actually pulls up to under the peak where he is, but he calls out Francis Goring instead of calling out Henry Frost. Uh, so that was interesting. He knows. You got to feed that delusion. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, he tells him to go to channel two on his radio, which he does. Frost gets on there and says, this is my land. You guys leave or she dies. And meanwhile, we cut over to the sniper. He can't line up a shot because Becky is in the way. And Rossi is there. He says to him, "Uh, your policy was shoot to kill at Ruby Ridge, wasn't it? And Rossi says, well, it wasn't then, but it is now. And Townsend is like, yeah, well, I'm not in the Bureau, am I? And meanwhile, Hotch is like, "Uh, we know all about you, Henry. Henry Frost, 25 years old. We know your dad kicked you out of the house when you were 15. He was a drunk and he abused you and he abandoned you. And ever since, your life has just been jails and institutions and it's been hell. And Frost is like, shut up, shut up. We cut back yeah, to- Because he's screwing with his identity. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to uh, Townsend, who is confirming that Rossi was the one who sent Morgan and JJ to the bar. And he's just like, you did that just to piss me off, didn't you? And- uh Rossi is, meanwhile, just telling him, if you have the shot, take it. And then Townsend is like, well, you know, 
an innocent woman died at Ruby Ridge. And Rossi says, well, you know, as tragic as that outcome was, my order on that day was the same as it is now. This man is not going to be taken alive. And Townsend is like, oh, you were there. And Rossi says he was. Uh, That seems to have some kind of impression on Townsend. And uh, Rossi says, just the shot is the signal to go. So just take the damn shot. But Townsend does say, hey, maybe your partner is going to talk him out of it. So Hotch is still talking to uh, Frost. He's saying, just let the girl go. I'll clear out everyone. We can talk. It doesn't have to end like this. And Frost is like, yes, it does. And after a little bit of back and forth, he seems distracted enough. He finally stands up like he's going to get ready and shoot someone. And a shot rings out. And our sniper has, in one shot, taken down Mr. Frost. Putting the sharp in sharpshooting. <laughs> Putting the sharp in sharpshooting. Damn, and, yo. And they, everybody, they then rush up and they're able to get there. They free Becky. They confirm that she's okay. And uh, that's pretty much it for for Mr. Uh, Frost slash Goring. I mean, I would have I would have wanted a little more drama out of this just because, you know, he kills Henry in one shot. Great shot. And then Morgan and Francis run up there. I'm like, can't you just have him put Morgan in the scope for like two seconds to give us just a little bit of tension? I mean, you know he's not going to shoot Morgan, but just give him that little bit of tension where where Rossi go like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that would have been good. What kind of man do you think I am? (laughs) You know, know, something. That would have been good. Seemed like a wasted opportunity. Uh, We do have one last scene. Rossi is sitting there at the edge of the uh, one of the cliffs, looking at the scene, the beautiful scenery around them. And Morgan is there. He's saying, it's quite a view. Reminds me of Idaho. And uh, Rossi's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, me too. And uh, he says, look, all that anybody remembers is that an FBI sniper killed a mother while she was holding her baby. And then six months later, Waco, 80 men, women and children died, and not a single shot did we fire that day. And the legacy of those failures still hunts us. It's why some people don't trust us. And it made me start thinking about leaving the agency. And so Morgan is like, well, what started you thinking about coming back? And Rossi says, unfinished business. And uh, he walks off. And as he's walking off, Morgan is like, you know, there's one thing you will learn about me, Rossi. I'm relentless. I will find out. And with that little bit of tension, the music doesn't like give us the like, oh, it's okay. They're friends. It just sort of leaves us feel feeling that tension. And the episode ends there, AJ. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, Harris had given Rossi the bullet casing. As, as he walked away. Oh, true. And, yes. and Rossi was playing with Bullocase and he gave it to Morgan and Morgan just throws it off the cliff. Yeah. But uh, this is the second episode that we've had Mr. Rossi. And it's the second time he said, well, maybe I have unfinished business. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly he has unfinished business. Do we have an episode name coming up? Unfinished business. <laughs> just... I mean, I... <laughs> okay, we will, we will get there. We will get there. I was going to wait till we got there to get there. 
Uh, I mean, eventually, it's it's not spoiler to say at some point we will address this unfinished business. Mm-hmm. And no, it is not called unfinished business. <laughs> okay. Damn it. Perfect opportunity. Oh, Lordy. You would think, right? <laughs> well, that was the episode, AJ. Uh, how do we feel? Do, let's uh, crack out our barometer as we yeah. do at the end of each episode. And let us know if you think the team won this episode this week. Yeah, well, I'll give them a, I'll give the show a demerit for having an opening quote and not a closing quote, but yet having the unsub repeat the entire quote in the middle of the episode. <laughs> so, boo on that. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to give this one a push, a no decision, a draw, if you will. I mean, uh, you can't blame them for uh, not finding the first kidnap victim that they were called in for in time. Uh, you know, but I had they not been called in, I mean, they would have figured out <laughs> what was going on. He left his car at the at the gas station and was seen. They would have figured it out eventually. So mm-hmm. they didn't really need the BAU for this one. Uh, plus the weirdness of putting Morgan and JJ in danger. Uh, Reed uh, not carrying his gun correctly. They got spanked a little bit, so... Uh, yeah, they saved they saved the woman, so they needed a, a racist help for it. But yeah, <laughs> they didn't lose. But I'm not going to give them a win on this. Fair indeed, fair fair. All right, the other thing we like to do at the end of our show, AJ, is have a little quiz, a little trivia inspired by the episode that we just watched. I like to call this. Part of the show. Three questions. AJ, take over, please. Yes, indeed. Three questions this week. We're going to kick it off, my friend, with question number one. A very good place to start. Uh, so we're going to talk about Kai Eric Erickson, the actor who played our surf <laughs> our, our Henry in this one. He has starred in a lot of TV shows. He's been done a lot of work. He's been on the, in 4400. He's on the Commish. He was in Boston Public. I mean, this guy has worked a lot uh, up until this episode. <laughs> and then most of the work he did after that was in Hallmark films. So uh, I'm going to ask you to kind of do one of my favorite games, my 75% true. Spun off from my Beat My Guest podcast. Uh, three of these four movie titles are actual Hallmark films that have starred Kai Eric Erickson. One I made up. So, okay. Spot the fake of these. Is it A, a Christmas detour? Is it B, signed, sealed, and delivered for Christmas? Is it C, Silent Night, Perfect Night? Or is it D, The Twelve Disasters of Christmas? And yes, three of these are actual Hallmark movies starring this dude. <laughs> wow. Um, I was thinking you were going to give little synopses of each of them, but that's okay. This is, after all, a short quiz. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I will say that the title that stuck out to me as perhaps being the fake, 
although I'm probably wrong and I have no real reason for this guess, is a Christmas detour. Indeed. Well, Christmas detour. A Christmas detour. I'm sorry, sir. No, that is very, very much a real movie. Uh, of course. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I did not actually write down who had starred in, in all of these because, uh, as it turns out, nobody starred in one of them. <laughs> uh, but one of these has Candace Cameron Bure. It might be that one. Uh, another one had Rob Estes, and the third one had nobody for me to give you. Uh, no, Christmas Detour Real, oh. 12 Disasters of Christmas. Real, 13 if you count the movie itself. And <laughs> signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours for Christmas, yeah. <laughs> Silent Night, Perfect Night does not fit. Oh, well. Uh, you got me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Let's move on. The less said about this, the better. <laughs> All right, question two. Michael Cudlins. Of course, I have to ask a question about the Cud. He appeared as a character named Tony Miller, a football player accused of taking steroids across multiple seasons of what television show? Huh. You're familiar with him. You know a lot of the things he's been in. Yeah, but I did not study his IMDb. And why would you? Because, <laughs> well, no, because that would probably have given me an answer. I, I don't do that, folks. Uh, <laughs> we know we've seen the results. I mean, no, you're doing very well this season. <laughs> <clears throat> so a football player, and pardon me, what was his name again? Tony Miller. Tony Miller, accused of taking steroids across yes. multiple seasons. And to be clear, he was not accused over multiple seasons. He right. did not necessarily take the steroids over multiple seasons, but he was on multiple seasons in which one of the storylines was accused of taking steroids. Of what television show? Um, I'm trying to remember when I first became aware of Michael Cudlitz, because I don't think he's been around as long as the show that I want to say. The show that I want to say would be the old HBO classic First and Ten, but I'm, that's not going to be. I think that's a little bit too old for Michael Cutlets. So, and I don't want to say Friday Night Lights because that seems like too obvious. So I am going to go with Arliss. Arliss, a very... Very uh, obscure, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, you went the HBO route. Uh, no, no. Dollar signs, not for you. Uh, it is not Arliss. Uh, Michael Cutlitz appeared as Tony Miller, who was very smitten with one of the leads of the show. In fact, even asked her to the prom, and she said yes. Although he asked her to do stuff after the prom and she said no. Uh, he was a regular recurring individual on Beverly Hills 90210 and went to the oh, prom sh- with Brenda. I was I, I should have went there. I should have went there. I And so congratulations, Michael Cudlitz. You qualify for our prediction 
when Jason Wiles was on on uh, this show, I asked you to predict how many people from 90210 would be on uh, as unsubs or in other guest capacities. How many 90210 people? And I have I've capped it at, uh, uh, at you had to be on at least 10 episodes of 90210 to qualify. And with 11 episodes, Michael <laughs> Cudlitz now becomes the second person. You predicted eight. We're now up to two. The first, of course, was uh, Morgan's mother, who also played Dylan's quote-unquote mother. <laughs> uh, yes, she was in 12 episodes. He was in 11. We have two on our 90210 count to be continued. Or maybe we're done. We're, we're not done. <laughs> I, I, I think I probably grossly underestimated my number on that, but okay. I don't know. It's season three. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. All right. Question Three. As always, my favorite question of the set, where we actually preview next week's episode of Criminal Minds slash Felonious Pundits. Sir, can you tell me what will the plot of our next episode, Criminal Minds, season three, episode eight, entitled Lucky B. Lucky. Is it A? I hope you've already eaten. Because dessert is about to be served in the form of a pastry chef who leaves cakes adorned with human hearts at the doorstep of grieving widows. Is it B? I hope you've already eaten. Because our latest victim has. A bevy of literal lady fingers are found in her stomach, none of which are hers. Is it C? I hope you've already eaten. Because you won't be able to eat anything going forward if you like our victims, show up with your mouth sewn shut. Or is it D? I hope you've already eaten, because you're about to witness some very unappetizing goings-on in a catering kitchen. Don't ask for extra bacon. It comes from a human corpse. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hope I've already eaten. Uh... I don't have any reasoning. I am just going to say, see the one with the mouth sewn shut on the victims. Choice C. Choice C. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, (laughs) I know this was not really all that fair because (laughs) they're all horrific. And might I say, three of these... (laughs) Will be at, well two two of the three uh, that aren't right will be episodes at some point down the road. Ugh, boy, ugh, ugh, ugh. but no, not sewn shut. We're gonna have a victim show up with actual lady fingers that aren't hers in her oh. stomach. <laughs> aren't you gonna... feeling lucky to see this one? Oh yes, indeed. I was uh, I was gonna go for lady fingers, and I I chose the mouth zone. Oh well, <laughs> you never know, AJ. Especially with your your choices. Uh, yeah, yeah, this this was a tough week for me. It was. It was. <laughs> it's a tough week for everybody all around. Hey, hey, hey. Well, that's the end of the show. <laughs> for this week thank you so much everybody for joining us uh we definitely hope you had a great time 
Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And uh, spread the word. Let your friends know about us. They can listen to the show. They don't even have to watch the show, Criminal Minds, in order to enjoy listening to our show, I would think. Right. <laughs> we, 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 we provide all the details and a whole lot of comedy. <laughs> there you go. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! Perhaps it's impossible to wear an identity without becoming what you pretend to be. Orson Scott Card, Ender's Gang.